Has your company just gone public, giving you a sudden influx of wealth? Have you been saving for the future and want to be sure you're managing wisely? Congratulations, and welcome to Wealth Unlocked with Tom Selbo of Landmark Wealth Management Group. Tom offers guidance to help you make the big decisions surrounding your finances, avoid costly mistakes, and build a strong financial foundation for your future. Let's get started. What is a concentrated investment? Do you have any? Should you have any? Well, Tom Selbo has some suggestions, but first, Tom, let's define a common concentrated investment. What is that? So to define a common concentrated investment, uh, let's start just by talking about the word concentrated. And I sort of distilled that down a bit. And, and when I thought of that, I thought of the word concentrate. And I don't know if you remember this, Patrice, and this is a, a blast from my childhood. <laughs> um, but when we grew up at our house, we would sometimes have what was called orange concentrate in the yes. freezer. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. <laughs> in fact, when I wrote this introduction, Tom, I thought, oh my, I should mention something about concentrated orange juice in there. And I thought, does anybody know what that is anymore? Do they sell yeah. it? I don't even know. And by the way, I think it's it's awful for the record, but <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, out here in California, it's like, I, I'm kind of a foodie and it's like, no, you, you got to have fresh squeezed orange juice. What's this orange concentrate crap? But <laughs> you're just adding I, water. You're just adding water, Tom. Exactly. And, and I, I just, I remember when I, when I think about that, um, I, at some point when I was a kid, I mean, my mom would uh, break this out of the freezer and we'd open it up. And I think I probably took a, a spoonful of it and on its own. I mean, it's, mm. it's awful. Oh yeah. And again, and like we said, mixed with water, not much better, but, <laughs> but on, on its own, not good. And, and you can, so when I think about concentrate, I, uh, I immediately went to food because it's just a very experiential thing that we can relate to. Um, in our house now, we have my wife loves to cook, and we have all kinds of extracts, vanilla and and almond and all of them. And again, on their own, awful, but mixed in with something good. I think. Um, I, what else? I was thinking about just like boozy drinks, like uh, distilled alcohols. Like I was thinking, what's a nasty one? Something like peppermint schnapps, or Ooh, yeah, oh, <laughs> and I. I'm sure some peppermint schnapps mixed in with a hot chocolate or something in December is is a very delightful thing. But on its own, if you like peppermint peppermint schnapps, it's probably something wrong with you. <laughs> You're going to get some calls on this one. Yes, yes. So when I when I think about a concentrated investment, you think about these things uh, in in the food world that on their own are are no good. It's it's too much. It's too intense. But but a lot of these things, uh, when mixed in with something else, uh, are actually very complementary, and they it it makes something very very good. So when I think about a concentrated investment, it, it's very much the same concept where um, you quite simply just have too much uh, of your financial assets invested in something very specific. So does that, are you with me so far? Oh yeah, that makes it, that's a fantastic analogy. But is it just stocks? Is it real estate? 
can it be any any type of investment? So in theory, it absolutely could. I mean, I, I could look at at anybody's financial life, and if we just quantified all of their assets, um, financial assets, uh, real estate, even down to vehicles that they own, those are assets. They're oh, okay. not good investments most of the time, but they're assets. Um, you look at uh, people who are big hobbyists who um, maybe have a, a big musical instrument collection. Those are all financial assets that may or may not be a good investment, but they they have some value that that they could be sold for. So when you think about over-concentration, it could be in any of those. Um, I could look at someone's financial life and say, you know what? You have way too much money tied up in uh, in the cars you drive compared mm-hmm. to the the totality of all your assets. But for, for the purpose of this conversation, I'll focus it more around uh, just tangible investment assets, things like um, individual stocks. Uh, you could even look at bonds, real estate, or just pure non-diversified portfolios. So you you might not be in an individual stock, but you might have too much in one type of uh, of asset class, if that makes sense. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. So those are, those are the common common ones, and I just want to outline a lot of scenarios I see. Just as a as a wealth advisor, one of the first things I do when I sit down with somebody for the first time is we take an accounting of of what you have. And this uh, this problem of having a concentrated investment position is is so common, and it's oftentimes one that people don't uh, they don't consciously choose. It just sort of happens to them, and I'll, I'll outline how. But it, it happens, and they they don't do anything, and then they find themselves in this scenario where they have way too much in one particular area, and. Some of the, some of the common ones, for example, are people that work for uh, for large companies, and they get grants of stock for mm-hmm. that company. So every quarter, as a part of your compensation package, or every year, the company will give you a chunk of the company stock, which is great. It's a good thing, and people get it as employees. But then years and years and years go by, and they never reallocate any of that. And they find themselves in a position with way too much in their company stock. And that's a a very common pitfall that I see there. Uh, Other ones, you could go down the road of looking at real estate. And I want to be cautious about talking about real estate because a lot of us, the home we live in, once you purchase a home, represents a large portion of your financial assets. That's just the reality of, of how it is. But the home you live in, it's it is an investment per se, but I always like to look at that more as a use asset where it's you have to live somewhere. So it's a use asset that you're using. You hope it appreciates over time, but you also spend a lot of money to make it your own. You're not making those decisions purely on uh, from an investment standpoint, if that makes sense. Oh boy, does it ever. Yeah, so I, I want to differentiate where it's not unusual at all for for most of us to have a large portion tied up in the home we live in, but where the pitfalls start to come with real estate is when I see people who have bought their primary residence and they haven't built up 
many investments in any other areas. And then they want to start going out and buying real estate property, uh, rental property in in the same area that they live in. And and if they go about doing this and then they build up a portfolio of rental property and and all of a sudden all of their their wealth is tied up in real estate. And uh, again, it's none of these are bad things per se, but there's a risk element that most people don't realize uh, they're taking when they have that concentrated position. Do, the, do those make sense? Yeah. And I think one of the problems may be that people may like a sector. They may like electric vehicles. They may like yes. semiconductors. They may like um, marijuana stocks. Yes, absolutely. And part of part of my job as a wealth advisor and part of the job of, of any good planner is to not pour water uh, on and be a wet blanket on something that you might be passionate about, mm -hmm. but it's to unearth some of those biases that we all might have. And, and more than anything, it's not to tell you it's good or bad, but it's to confront the situation and let you know what level of risk you're taking. Well, that comes to the problem of the question then. So what's so bad about having an overconcentrated position? Or I should say one concentrated position. We're not going over the yet, just one concentrated position. Yeah, and I could point to a variety of examples just th that I've seen over my career. And one that I'll I'll bring up here is happened about two years ago. I, I met with a young lady who worked in a startup here, a tech startup in, in the Bay Area. And their company had gone public. So they they went IPO. And she was given a large allotment of that company's stock as a part of that deal when the company went public. And that's a very common scenario for mm -hmm. a lot of the tech startups out here. And I, I met with her and we we talked about what she had. She had a massive over-concentration to this one stock that, that was the company she worked for. And we talked about what would, what was the purpose of the money, uh, what what's it supposed to be used for? And well, she wanted to use it for a down payment on a home eventually, or at least a portion of it, which was great. So I, I talked her through the scenario of explaining the risk she was in by staying in that one stock. And that, that risk when you're in one investment is always that, well, that, that one investment could uh, depreciate. Yeah, yeah. Rapidly. It could go, could go bankrupt. And uh, we met, I talked about a, a game plan of what she might want to consider. And um, she she did make the decision though, to say, you know, I, I like my company. It's done well in the short term. I, I don't really want to sell it. I just want to hang on. And it, it, great. Nothing wrong with that from from my position. It's it's just explaining the risk and and making suggestions. But she she stuck it out with that stock. And from about two years ago till today, that stock is now worth about 75% less Ooh. than than where it was when we spoke. And it it's just one of those classic examples where she had a vision of what was going to happen. It was going to be used to enhance her lifestyle, to purchase a home, a place for her family, um, but wanted to take the risk of staying in that that one stock. And and now, um, now the stock could always come back. It could not. 
but where it sits today is uh, she wouldn't be able to achieve that goal in the short term of of purchasing that that home for her family. So you walk into that risk scenario whenever you have a uh, a concentrated position that you are putting yourself in a, a risky scenario where you might not be able to achieve your long-term goals. Then what, how much is too much in one position? Now, to me, it sounds like she really should have diversified a lot, but that's only my interpretation here. Yes. What is too much? It's, as with all things in finance, there's no right or wrong answer, but I will, I'll provide some goalposts or rules of thumb. And um, it's, it's different for every individual, but a good rule of thumb is if, if you have any, if you have more than 10% of your investable assets in one position, I would define that as concentrated. And I would say you need to reduce that down to reduce your risk. So uh, more than 10% in, in one given stock, I would say is, is too much or more than 10% in, uh, in one piece of real estate, for example, um, or one undiversified sector would be, be too much. I would guess that for people with company stock in their employer, 10% is nothing. In most cases, for those that, that get it and don't have a plan in place, yes, they find themselves with far more than 10% in uh, in any given stock. So it's very common. And it's, it's, again, it's not a bad thing. It's just a, it's always a question of how much risk are you taking? And most people don't necessarily think of it like that. And they don't realize what kind of a risky scenario they're putting themselves in. And real estate, how do you, well, you have your real estate interests, but how do you spread those out? How do you diversify that? Do you just get out of real estate or do you just try different types of real estate? It, it could be a combo of all. And, and again, it comes back to, to your point, Patrice, of just saying, you know, we uh, some people have preferences for certain types of investments. So if you looked at someone who had a very strong preference and their plan was to accumulate wealth through real estate. Nothing wrong with that. They would want to realize they're concentrated in one sector. So they it's all in real estate. That's one specific sector. But they would want to look at diversifying into potentially different metro areas. So if I live in San Jose, yeah. um, I might want to buy a rental property somewhere else in Phoenix or a different metro area. So you at least get some diversification away from single markets. And whether it's real estate or stocks or any of these concentrated positions, the bottom line is it all comes back to diversification. And you want to make sure you don't have too much in one area so that uh, your your future goals might be compromised if there's underperformance in that area. Do you have some strategies to address this? I mean, how do you explain to to a client, uh, excuse me, you have too much in this area? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And in, well, confronting the problem is one thing, and, and right. that's just providing a pro- professional opinion, uh, which we do. And part of my job is to to have some of those tough conversations and say, you know, I in 
my professional opinion. You have too much in this area. I think we should address that as an issue in your financial life. And, and most clients, once they see that, they it's glaring in their face and they totally understand. And when we talk about what the trade-offs are, they say, yes, let's confront this and deal with it. So then it comes down to, okay, what's the strategy? How are we going to fix the problem? And there's a variety of ways to do it. And it depends, and it's very important that you work with a professional because they will be able to, uh, someone like myself can help you avoid certain pitfalls from doing it the wrong way. And I'll start by saying that the one way you could address it is you could, I would just call it the rip the bandaid off method where you just sell that position and we reinvest it across a more diversified investment portfolio. And that's a great method for people who have their assets in qualified retirement plans or areas where we could make that that move immediately and they wouldn't be hit with a big tax burden. And that's the the crux of the issue with the rip the bandaid method off where sometimes you have a concentrated position that's done very, very well. And if you don't do it right and you just sell it, you fix one problem by getting yourself out of that one concentrated position, but you might create another uh, when you have to pay the IRS next year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so sometimes the rip the bandaid method off is not a an appropriate one. So you want to work with someone like myself or, or the other advisors here at Landmark to to do that in appropriate fashion. the The other popular one is to just put in a methodical or unemotional plan to divest yourself of that concentrated position. So once you've realized, yes, that's a problem, I don't want to be taking that much risk, let's put together a plan and say, uh, for example, every every month we're going to sell X percent of this stock, no matter what the price is, no matter if it's up or down, we're just going to do it methodically. We're not going to get emotional about it. Um, or if it's a tax scenario, every year in January, we're going to sell X number of shares. And it, so you kind of get the drift of, you just want that schedule in place that so that you can take emotion out of it and you can have a plan that is you can follow through on. Tom, that that's great. Um, are there any other strategies? You've got the rip the bandaid off. You've got the soak the bandaid off. Is there is there anything in between? So the in between, and there there's always the in between, and I I tend to shy away from it. But the in between is. Well, let's, uh, for example, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Client, we have this stock, there's, you have too much of it. Your, your financial plan is at risk because of that. Let's plan to meet on a regular cadence, say every quarter, and talk about how much we might want to sell and where to put it and have a conversation. And we might make a decision to sell some, we might make a decision not to. And that's that in-between the problem with the in-between is you you allow emotion into that process. Mm. And one of the things that makes humans human and makes us wonderful is our, our emotions. One of the things that makes humans pretty terrible at investing <laughs> is also our emotions. <laughs> and, and it just comes down to that 
uh, well, fear and greed, we get, we tend to get fearful when things are dropping and think, oh, this is, it's never going to come back. It's never going to get better. Or when things are rising, tend to think, oh, I'm not going to sell now. It's going to go up forever. And we get greedy. And when you let emotion into that gray area, it becomes problematic. But I would say using that gray area to get yourself out of a concentrated position is better than just burying your head in the sand and doing nothing. Time. Is time a factor here? Do you want to get them to diversify as quickly but as gently as possible? Yes. T time is always a factor. And it comes back to those uh, avoiding those tax pitfalls, really, where in a lot of cases, you want to get yourself to a less risky, more diversified position as quickly as possible. But you need to do it in the most prudent way possible. And unfortunately, tax-wise, our tax system functions in years. So sometimes the plan to get yourself out of a concentrated investment might be a five or 10-year plan mm. to control the tax burden. So sooner tends to always be better so that you can better control the risk, but sooner is not always the most prudent thing to do. Tom, is there anything else here that you want to make sure we mention that we haven't? I think the last thing I would mention finishing up here is just that I want to make no mistake about it. Having a concentrated investment in and of itself is not a bad thing. The flip side of that, you could say, well, if you have a concentrated position, you have more risk that's out there, but there, there truly is potentially more reward potential also. And some clients are very comfortable with that trade-off. So just because you have it doesn't mean it's a bad thing, but it's a great thing to have a conversation about it so you understand the risks involved. So that's number one. And uh, I, I would just reiterate that you want to work with a professional to uncover these risks that you might be taking that you don't understand and put a plan together to control that risk. And I, I see it so often in my business where financial professionals, wealth advisors, they they come in and they they talk to you about, well, let's make these investments and here's how much money we're going to make. And if you're talking with an advisor that is going down that road, I would just say, run for the hills. <laughs> you, you really want to work with somebody who is not going to try and maximize return at any expense. You want to work with a professional that's going to help you control your risk. And uh, that once you you understand that it's that's the crux of the issue, it's that's what you want to do. Work with uh, myself, someone at Landmark. We specialize in making sure our clients are comfortable with the risk they're taking, so they're not caught off guard when the economy or an individual concentrated position goes the other way. And how can someone reach you, Tom? You can reach me at my email address, Tom Selbo at landmarkwealth.net, or you can reach us at landmarkwealth.com. Follow this podcast to know when the latest show is ready for you. And if you find this information helpful, of course, share it with friends and family. I'm Patrice Sikora, and thanks for being with us. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Unlocked podcast with Tom Selbo. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. And follow us on LinkedIn and Facebook at Landmark Wealth for all podcast updates.
The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Landmark Wealth Management Group. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.